iPad Pro with M1, power of M1. Give it to me now, like now, now. Only if Apple sticks to pattern, it won't be an M1. It'll be an A14X. And that's caused some confusion. But let me explain. Sponsored by Ting. About 0.3 seconds after announcing the M1, the first custom Apple Silicon for the Mac, people began demanding that Apple put that in the next generation iPad Pro. But M1 is just a brand name, a marketing term, M as in Mac, the name for Apple Silicon as used in the Mac product line. And Apple already has a brand, a set of marketing around the SOCs, the chipsets used in iPhones and iPads, and that's the A-series. The plain A series like A10, A11, A12 that you typically find in the iPhone and lower end iPads. And for the last many years, things like the A10X or A12X that you find in the higher end iPads. For example, with the iPhone XS, Apple introduced the A12 Bionic that had four Tempest efficiency cores, two Vortex performance cores, and four GPU cores. But just a month later, Apple introduced the A12X with the 2018 iPad Pro. And what that did was add two extra Vortex performance cores and four extra GPU cores for a total of eight CPU, four efficiency, four performance, and eight GPU. And so now with the iPhone 12, we have the A14 Bionic that has four iStorm efficiency cores two Firestorm performance cores, and then four graphics cores. And yeah, for some reason, Apple doesn't seem to want to give cool code names to their GPU, their graphics cores, or their ANE, their Apple Neural Engine cores. Although I happen to think ShaderStorm and Brainstorm would have fit right in, you know, just love all your children equally. And then just one month later in November, Apple introduced the M1. And wait for it, the M1 has four IceStorm efficiency cores, four Firestorm performance cores, and eight, I'm calling them Shader Storm graphics cores. Also the exact same 16 neural engine brainstorm cores. In other words, based on how Apple took the A12 to the A12X, M1 has exactly what you would expect from an A14 taken to an A14X. Now it does add some extra Mac specific silicon IP on top of that. For example, accelerators for hypervisor virtualization and Rosetta 2 translation, and also two onboard Thunderbolt controllers because the Mac traditionally didn't just use USB like the iPad, but was already Thunderbolt and Apple had to reproduce that capability going all the way to USB 4, which basically takes Thunderbolt and incorporates it into the USB standard. So then the question becomes if the M1 is roughly speaking already an A14X, would Apple just take an M1 and put that in the iPad Pro or would they make a specific A14X for the iPad Pro? And to be honest, Apple could go two different ways here. One of the advantages that Apple has is that they're not a merchant silicon vendor. They don't sell their chipsets, not like Intel, not like Qualcomm. So they don't have to worry about profit and loss per chipset. They don't have to make money on the chip. They only have to make money on the full device, on the iPhone, on the iPad, on the Mac. And that gives them incredible flexibility to push their technology as fast as they possibly can because making new chipsets is really, really expensive. And I think one of the worries that some of us had was that as Apple added more and more products, things like the AirPods with their H1 chip, the Apple Watch now with its S6 chip, the A series, AX series, the M series, all of those things that Apple would end up becoming a merchant silicon vendor with Apple's various product lines as their customers, and they would start accruing exactly the same kind of baggage. But Apple was actually really smart here. 
what they did was create an extensible, a scalable architecture so they can make very similar chipsets for this wide range of products. For example, the S6 in the Apple Watch uses the same kind of core architecture as the A13 Bionic did, and the A14 in the iPhone 12 is identical to the A14 in the iPad Air. The iPhone will just hit the image signal processor more because people take and process a lot more photos on the iPhone than they do the iPad, but the iPad might hit the GPU more because people use bigger, more desktop-style apps and games on the iPad than they do the iPhone. But that one chip was designed from the outset to be able to handle the needs of the iPhone all the way to the iPad. And it's possible Apple might want to leverage the same kinds of economies of scale and use an M1 in an iPad Pro and just disable the Mac-specific IP and maybe one of the Thunderbolt ports. As much as I would love two Thunderbolt ports on an iPad, I will settle for just one now. Everything else could be pretty much the same and they would be able to use an M1 in an iPad, whether they call it the M1 or they just relabel it A14X because that is completely a marketing, a branding decision. Or they could run the numbers, pivot the spreadsheet, or I'm guessing Tim Cook just keeps all of those numbers in his head and figure out that it's actually more economical to make a specific A14X that doesn't include that Mac-specific IP, that doesn't include that extra Thunderbolt controller, that has a different configuration or implementation of RAM that's maybe not on package, but actually on die, depending how much RAM they go for the iPad. Because while the MacBook starts at eight gigabytes and goes to 16, thus far, the highest we've ever gotten in an iPad Pro is six gigabytes, as much as I think a lot of us would love a lot more. But that's really it. That's really the only difference, marketing and economics. Whatever Apple wants to call it and whatever the most efficient way to fabricate it is will be the deciding factor here. And then the same thing would hold true when Apple moves to the next generation of silicon, presumably at least with the iPhone this September, going to an A15 Bionic or A15 Cyborg if Jaws has seen the Snyder Cut by then. That would be the same IP that we'd expect to see in an M2 for the Mac or an A15X for a next generation iPad Pro, they would have the exact same performance and efficiency potential constrained only by the thermal envelope of the casing, the design, the device that they are put into. And of course, whether Apple markets it as an M1 or A14X or something else entirely, it's still gonna be wicked expensive. So start saving now with your cell phone bill because Ting's Flex Plan lets you and your family pay only $5 a month per gigabyte. And if you, like me, are barely, barely off Wi-Fi these days, if you use less one month, you pay less. And data usage is shared across all lines on one Ting account. So the more lines you add, the more you save. Just go to renee.ting.com to check out the plans and see exactly how much and get $25 off. You get access to the best nationwide coverage in America on pretty much any phone, iPhone, Galaxy, Pixel, anything you can put a SIM card in. Keep your existing phone, keep your existing number if you want to, because the next generation of Ting Mobile is here. Just click on the link below or go to renee.ting.com and get $25 off. And clicking on that link really helps out the channel. Hit the playlist above for more on Apple Silicon. I've got in-depth explainers on both the M1 and the A14 covering everything you need to know. So hit that playlist and I'll see you in the next video.